Amen. Let's let's turn together to John chapter 1, if you're not already there. And the opening verses, uh, what is known as the prologue here in, in the first chapter of John's gospel, may seem a strange text for Christmas for the theme. As you know, if you've been with us, we've been studying the Christ of Christmas, a small series, a break from sort of what we normally do in preaching through our books of the Bible, uh, to, to consider something of what Christ came to do. Not fully, not exhaustively, um, there's not time. Uh, but, but we've considered several, several things, several areas, uh, and, and, and we've seen that first Christ came, and, and, and maybe most significantly, according to the promises of God, and that they might be fulfilled. And in fact, we saw that again last week with he came to shepherd, but he came to shepherd just as God promised. And so we must continue to go back to the Old Testament, and we'll see again this week that Christ came to give light. But he came to give light as was seen in the Old Testament and prophesied of in the Old Testament and by God's people Israel in the Old Testament, the light that was longed for and looked for. And so we must continue to see that maybe in the most basic sense, Christ our Lord came at Christmas, born in a manger, in human flesh, God with us, our Emmanuel, because God promised to send him and God promised to redeem us through him. And so he came to fulfill God's promises. Then we saw he came to shepherd, that is to shepherd God's people. And then today we're going to consider that Christ came to give light. But the first chapter of John may seem a strange Christmas text because unlike many of the other gospel accounts, it does not begin with a genealogy. Uh, It does not show us where Christ came from in terms of his human lineage or the throne of David or the, the, the kingship that he is inheriting, any of those things. It does not begin with a manger scene, as, uh, as we see in other accounts. But I, I would contend for you, as is seen in verse 14, where we will be reading, that it tells us, John does, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a Christmas text because at Christmas we celebrate that very reality. And so John is giving us some theological truth with regard to Christmas. It is a Christmas text. And uh, in the first several verses here, in the first chapter of John, in this prologue, what John is doing is setting the stage for the rest of his gospel. So that when you read these verses, he touches on many different ideas or theological truths pertaining to Christ and the incarnation, that is his coming in the form of human flesh to redeem men. He touches on many themes, if you will, that he's going to unpack later and revisit later in his gospel. Uh, It's kind of like I heard one pastor say, it's kind of like if you've ever been to a symphony I'm not much into those, but uh, if, if, you, if you like classical music, I, I know enough to know that if you've ever been to a symphony or to a ballet or a musical production, there is a flow, and, and the music, even if maybe you don't fully understand, uh, the music is going somewhere, and it is telling a story, and there are many themes that are going to be musical themes that are going to be unpacked and visited throughout that musical production, and it is normal for the very first opening piece of that musical work to 
explore and to give you a bit of a taste of all of those musical themes that are going to then later be visited throughout that musical production. And in many ways, John's gospel is that way. He is giving us a taste of many of those realities. And so he's going to talk about the divinity of the word and the word being Christ. He's going to talk about the eternality of God and of God's son, his only begotten, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about the word becoming flesh and the incarnation. He's going to talk about the relationship as we're going to see this morning, primarily in this text, he's going to talk about the relationship between the life of God. That is the life that God gives and the light that that life is the light. And it's going to explain and make clear to us that that light is Christ. And he's, so there are all of these themes, and, and we're not going to unpack all of them, but I just want to make you aware that in, in, in much of the gospel, many of these themes are revisited. Um, so, so I think this is an appropriate text for us this morning as we consider that when we celebrate Christmas, you know, Jesus coming and born in a manger, and we think about what it is that he came to do. It's very, very, very important. One of the major themes, both of the Old Testament and of the New, is that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to give light and there, there is this constant uh, picture of the, the battle between the light and the darkness. The, the light and the darkness. It's a continual theme. Even back at creation, remember, when, when God comes to create everything and he makes the earth, and then he realizes, as he says there, that, that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was there hovering. And from the darkness, what did God do? He brought light. He, he made the light. And so we, that's the beginning, the opening act of God's Word is His revelation of Himself. He is the light-giving and life-giving God. And that life-giving light is manifest and culminated in the deliverance of the king in, in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ who comes at Christmas. So this theme, this thread flows from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And so it's crucially important that we know something of it this morning in this Christmas season, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, he came to give light. So we'll, we'll unpack that a bit, and we're going to read the first 14 verses here of John's Gospel. We'll begin in verse 1. Before we read, let's pray and ask God to open our our eyes to his word. God Almighty, this is your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life and light. And God, according to our nature, we are darkness. And so we need the light of your word to shine in us. God, we need you to open our eyes and our minds to grant knowledge and wisdom and clarity and understanding that we might see and know we might read and understand that we might be convicted and believe. So God, open your word to us this morning that we might know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Excuse me, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. This is God's word. Well, the first thing that I want us to consider then about the light that God gives in Christ, the Christ coming to give us light, something of that light, is first that he gives at Christmas when he came, born of a virgin in a manger in human flesh. He came and he gave a perfect light. He came and he gave a perfect light. It's very interesting in this text because it speaks of Christ as the true light or the genuine light or the authentic light. The language here is the same language that we see when Jesus speaks of being the true bread from heaven and the true vine from which all of the branches come. Both of those realities are found also in John's gospel. And the language here is the same. But what does it mean that he is the true light or the true bread or the true vine? Well, it's, it, it, it means necessarily that there is some other bread or some other vine. Not that was necessarily untrue, but that was not as complete, that was not as perfect, so that there is some bread and some vine or vineyard and some light by which the true bread and the true vine and the true light that has come is compared and is found to be more perfect, much like the book of Hebrews, as it continually argues about the preeminence of Jesus over all things relating to his people and in creation, that he is a perfect king and a perfect priest for God's people. And he is being compared to those kings and priests that have come before. So this is much in the same. Think about in the Old Testament, Moses gave the manna to Old Testament Israel, right? And, 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 and it was a good thing. It was by God's provision, but it came through Moses and it pointed to ultimately the true bread that was coming because Jesus then comes and says, but I am the true bread from heaven. Unlike that, that Moses provided Israel also in the old Testament was known as God's vineyard. But then Jesus comes as the true vine or the perfect vine from which come all of the other branches. And so too, he then is the true light, the more perfect light. Now Jesus has come and he provides to us part of God's self-revelation in a way that has never been seen before. In other words, why is it light? Because it reflects to us, if you go go to verse 14, it it reflects to us the glory of God. We have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He is God's revelation of himself to his people has been escalating. And his point is that the light of God's glory, the light of God's revelation, the light of God's truth, that it now shines brighter in Jesus than any bush or pillar has ever shown before. 
Does that make sense? It is not that God has not previously showed himself and been light for his people. He has. But now in a new and in a fresh and in a more complete way, Jesus is showing us the person of God himself. And we're going to see why that is in just a moment. Because he was God. That's part of what he's arguing in the first few verses here. But so the light that comes at Christmas is the perfect light. It is the true light. It is It is a better light that has ever shined. And we are given something in Christ Jesus, that baby in a manger whose birthday we celebrate this time of the year. It is in and through him that we are given to know and to see the person, the majesty, the glory of God Almighty in a way that we never have before. Christ Jesus recognized this in his ministry. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen God. But the light of God himself and his glory, it radiates through the person of Jesus like no bush or pillar or fire. All of the manifestations of God previous have ever shown before. But as I said, it's also a perfect light and it is the true light because it is an eternal light. And friends, it is a light that has always been shining. And that's important that we understand that the light of God shining through Jesus, it did not, it was not lit that Christmas morning. It did not begin when Jesus came and took on flesh and was born in a manger. It was not like a candle that had never been lit before. It was simply the light coming that has always been shining, the eternality of the light. Look at what he says in verse 1 here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And then we see down later where it talks about that The true light, verse 9, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Notice there his involvement in creation. He is speaking about the nature of the light, Jesus Christ, that he is fully and completely God. So that it is a divine light that has always been shining. It is a preexistent light, this light of God, this light of his glory, this manifestation of his person and of his nature, that that it has always been and that it simply came this Christmas morning. It is an eternal light. It was before creation ever began, and it was actually the agent through which creation came. And that's a very interesting thing there also, that the light is spoken of as being the one through whom Everything was made. We saw that there in verse 9. And that's part of the irony, as we're going to see in just a few moments, isn't it? It's part of the irony that the light of Christ was the agent in creation through which all things were made, yet all that he made did not recognize him. What does it say? That the light came into the world, but the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it, perhaps, is better there. The idea is that the darkness did not accept it. So the world that he made then turns around and does not accept him. He comes to his own and they reject him. There's there's a great irony, I think, that John is speaking about there. So it's an eternal light. It's part of why it is more perfect. It's not a light that has been lit. It's a light that has always been shining because it is the divine light of God himself in human flesh. Thirdly, it's because it is part of, and as I said a moment ago, it is part of the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. 
One of the things that we see, particularly when you turn to the prophets like Isaiah, chapter 9, chapter 60, uh, other places there, 42 and 43. You can go to Psalm 36, where God is spoken of as the fountain of life. Right? When we turn back to the Old Testament, one of the things that becomes clear is that not only has the light always shined, particularly the light was shining in the Old Testament for God's people. In Isaiah chapter 9 that we read in the beginning of this service, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They've been delivered. The light has shined into their life. They're no longer walking in darkness, yet Christ had not come. So so what's it talking about there? It's talking about, on one hand, God's working at that time. But it is also prophetically and eschatologically speaking about the light that was to come. According to God's promise that Jesus, the pure and the true light, had to come that Christmas morning because God's people had been promised that the light would be. That as God's people in the Old Testament, upon them a light had shined, even in an imperfect sense, so that they no longer walked in darkness, but they had seen a great light, that for his people one day the true light was coming. And that though they walked bound in darkness, dead in their trespass and sin, upon them a light is going to shine. Do you you see the connection there? And it's all through the Old Testament. It's an eternal light that's always been shining, but it's also a light that we can look in the history of redemption. In the Old Testament, God's dealing with his people. It is a light that was shining temporally in their time and with them. The light is divine. The light is God himself. As I said, as I alluded to already, you cannot read John chapter 1 and not instantly be taken back, if you know anything of Scripture, to Genesis chapter 1. The language of creation, in the beginning was the word. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light. It is the light of men, so that in verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. It was to be. He was in the world, but they did not know him. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet... That which he made did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He is God. The light is perfect because it is the eternal, pre-existent light of the glory of God Almighty. The true light. Shining in a way, showing us God in a way that he has never been seen before. So friends, when we look at those manger scenes this Christmas season... When you, when you see a cute little manger and you see a, you know, one of my pet peeves, a, a little white baby Jesus there, he probably wasn't white. Nonetheless, we don't know what he looked like. I'm not for the babies. But when, when we see those manger scenes and we have all these, you know, cute and cuddly and warm sort of feelings of affection for how wonderful a thing it was. And I don't, I don't want to diminish or downplay that. But, friends, do not be so... Uh, so warmed by the cute and cuddliness of it that you are not awed 
by the magnitude of it. For God himself came to show us the light of his glory. The same light that divided the land from the sea and the day from the night and brought all of the world from nothing. The same light that was working in creation has now come back to that creation and shines brightly in the person of Jesus. Not only is it a perfect light or a pure, the true light, friends, it is a penetrating light. I want us to look there as he talks about beginning in verse 6, well, beginning in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines out in the darkness, and the, the, the idea there is that it shines in such a way that the darkness must be dispelled. Now, I've only, you know... I spent some time growing up in the country, and, and you know, in, in, in America, it's very difficult to experience true darkness because there's so much light. But when you get out in the middle of a, a rice field, you know, in thousands and thousands of acres, it's a little easier because the, 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 the lights of the city are a distant, distant glow. And you can sort of experience a darkness, but... In, in, in the early 2000s, I spent some time in West Africa, in the sub-Saharan desert, doing some mission work there. And, and friends, there's only like a couple of cities in the whole country. And when you get out, get out into the middle of the African bush there, in the middle of the Saharan desert, if, if there's not much of a moon that night, or if it's a little overcast and the stars are covered, let me tell you, it's a darkness like I had never, ever experienced before. It was a, a pervasive darkness. It was a full... It was a darkness where you could literally put your hand in front of your face and not be able to see it. And I'd never, I, I mean, I'm growing up in modern America, I'd never experienced that kind of darkness ever. But the funny thing about that darkness is the deepest darkness was no match for the smallest light. It, 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 the light would penetrate so deeply into the darkness one little fire could light up an entire village. And they could go in an instant from not being able to see their hand in front of their faces to being able to commune and fellowship together. And we could have one little flashlight or one little lighter and, and it would permeate so deep that the darkness could not overcome it. Do, do, you, see, do you see what he's saying there? That the light, this true light, that it now permeates the darkness in a way that the darkness has never been permeated before. And then he says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's speaking of John the Baptist here. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then we're told this commentary, this light that comes into the world, that was in the world and through which the world was made, yet the world did not know him. So the darkness did not overcome the light, friends, but those that were in the darkness continued to, it's almost as if they missed it. But we have to be very careful here when we talk about the light of Christ that shines into the darkness. Spiritually speaking, if this light is so pervasive and it permeates into the darkness so deeply, why is it that so many fail to see it and believe? It's very, it's very important. 
We see this reality. Turn over to John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading verse 16 that I hope all of you can quote to me. I wonder though, how many of us know verses 17 through about 19 and 20? As it, as it explores this, this darkness and light and the, the way the light permeates into the darkness and gives us the reason that those in the darkness continue in the darkness. And let me, let me tell you, friend, it's not because the light has failed to permeate. It, it's in fact because it permeates so deeply. Let's begin reading in chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There it is. But now look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. So, So this is where it went wrong. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Do you see? Do you see that those who reject the light and continue in the darkness, it is not because the light has been insufficiently revealed or has not permeated into the darkness deeply enough, but it is actually the exact opposite, that the light of Christ permeates so deeply into the darkness that it exposes their sin, it exposes their need, it exposes their depravity, it exposes their wickedness, and then they turn and run because they hate it. Get out of that corner of my heart. Get out of that area of my life. I do not want the light to shine because I want the darkness to cover who I am and what I do. The light that he brings is so bright, friends, that it cannot be ignored. That's, do, do you see? What, what is it? Look, look, look at the end of this passage. It cannot be ignored, and it's a light that presses so deep into the darkness that it divides the darkness and the light. And it divides those who walk in the light from those who walk into the darkness. If you look uh, back in John 1, back in John 1, as we read up through 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But notice in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see? So that those who hate the light and those who love the darkness and those who continue to walk in the darkness, to them they have not been given the right to become children of God. A dividing line according to the light has been drawn. This theme is picked up again in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. Notice, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They've been separated. That the light divides completely. First John, his other, one of his other letters, but 
First John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you see? You, you, you cannot have the light and accept the light and believe the light and claim to love the light and continue to walk in the darkness because it shines so brightly and permeates so deeply and dispels the light, I mean the darkness, so completely that the two are mutually exclusive. You, you cannot have both. And so the true light, the eternal, shining Light of God's glory and majesty, the light through which all of creation was made, it penetrates into the deepest darkness of our heart and it separates the children of God from those of Satan. And those that love the light and walk in the light and come to the light, through the light they receive life. And those that love the darkness, they run from the light. But friends, it is not because they have not seen the light. It is not because it has not been sufficiently revealed. It is because it has not been sufficiently received. The light of God has shined brightly in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he comes to his own and they do not know him. He comes to his creation and it rejects him. It's a staggering thing. And, and, and those of us who love the light, right, Th those of us who have seen the light, those of us who have been brought to the life through the light, we, we stand back and we wonder, well, why, how could anyone reject the light? How could anyone long for the darkness? How could anyone exist in that reality? Well, as I said a moment ago, friends, those that love sin hate the darkness because the light exposes the light makes manifest the deeds of the flesh. It makes manifest our wickedness and it makes manifest our need for Christ and inability to please God. And for anyone who longs for the darkness and loves their sin and does not want to believe in Christ and trust in some other for their redemption and salvation, friends, the darkness the darkness is home, and the darkness is where they stay. It's a penetrating light. Then finally, and this is perhaps the most wonderful truth of this Christmas, it's a personal light. Notice how he closes this text, and it's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. It's, in fact, it's on, I mean, it's on purpose. He's talking about the division that the light makes with the darkness and the difference between those that believe in him and in his name who are given the right to become children of God and those who are, um, that they are born of God and not of man as being compared to those that exist in the darkness. But then look at verse 14. So this word that was preexistent and present from the beginning, God himself, that is the light that shines the glory and majesty of God that divides Wickedness from righteousness, what does it say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
Friends, if this text has never captivated your heart, I plead with God to to help it do so this morning. The Word became flesh. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration. When, When Moses, longing to be made right, pleading with God to see him. I want want to see you. I want to experience you personally and intimately. I I want to behold your majesty and your glory. God said, at this time, I can't. I can only give you a little glimpse. And remember, he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And he places his hand over the opening in the cleft. And it's as if he spreads his fingers just a bit. So that the light of God's glory, the manifest radiance of his majesty, it barely peeks through the cracks. And Moses is given but a tiny glimpse. And it nearly consumes him. It nearly kills him. Friends, this text tells us that the fullness of God's glory, grace and truth, that it has been opened to us to behold intimately and personally in the baby in the manger, Jesus. Friends, God, in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, in all of his divinity, took on flesh so that you might see him. The light's not shining off somewhere. The light's not obscure and in some corner of the universe where we can maybe not see it or maybe have to search for it or maybe if we find it might be consumed by it. It's not nebulous. It's not obscure. It is definite. And because of God's mercy in the incarnation, it is in some sense finite and temporal as God became a man and dwelt among men that men might be able to behold the glory of God in the baby Jesus. You realize that you've been given to see God. Moses longed to see God, but he did not live to see Jesus. Friends, what I'm telling you is that you've been given a privilege that Moses did not have. The significance of the incarnation is that the light of God is now shining for you to see. Not not for people, not for, you know, generalized humanity. It's not like a bright star that if you, you know, that God came in the form of a man for you. And friends, at Christmas, let us behold God's glory. Let us be gripped by his majesty. Let us be captivated by his mercy. And let us us look to the light and receive the life of men that is given 
the eternal life of God. Let us believe in him and trust in him. Let us see in the manger much more than a baby. Let us see God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the light that was given in the person of Jesus. And so often during the Christmas season, I, I think we miss it. I think, I think it becomes so familiar, so ordinary that we fail to recognize how extraordinary and miraculous and unbelievable it is. God, that you have granted us this grace, the privilege to personally behold the eternally shining divine light of your glory that penetrates into the darkness of our hearts in Jesus. And I pray that every person in this room would look to the light that personally and seriously that they would consider what it is to see God. To be overwhelmed with the reality that you've come for us. That when we could not get to you, you came to us. That when we could not save ourselves, you provided redemption and salvation in Jesus. God, the light has shined, and my prayer is that we would not be numbered among those who hate the light and love the darkness, but that we would be those that have been granted to become children of God because we love and look to the light. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.